people often ask me, who's your market for zero shoes? And I like to semi-glibly say people with feet, preferably two. Um, we're going to explore that a little more on today's episode of the Movement Movement, the podcast for people who want to know the truth about what it takes to have a happy, healthy, strong body starting feet first, those things that are your foundation. And I'm turning myself view on just in case that wasn't there. And uh, we break down on this podcast, the propaganda, the mythology, sometimes the flat out lies you've been told about what it takes to run or walk or hike or play or do yoga or CrossFit or martial arts, whatever it is you like to do and to do that effectively, efficiently, enjoyably. Yeah, I said enjoyably. You heard me. Because if you're not doing something you enjoy, you're not going to keep it up anyway. So find something you like to do. And that's the thing that's going to do. Now, we call this the movement movement because we, and that involves you, more about that in a second, are creating a movement about natural movement, letting your body do what bodies are made to do without getting in the way with things that are seemingly better, but actually aren't. And the movement part, the first part of that that involves you is really simple. Go to our website, www.jointhemovementmovement.com. There's no thing you need to do to join. There's no secret handshake. There's no dance we do every morning. There's no song we have to sing in honor of our great leader. It's just a place where you can find all the previous episodes, the different ways you can find us on social media and interact with us there. And of course, the other places you can find the podcast if you don't like the one where you already found this one. I think that's it. Oh, and all you need to do to be part of this is really simple. Give us a thumbs up or, or a good review or hit five stars or hit the bell icon on YouTube. YouTube, the drill. If you want to be part of the tribe, just subscribe. All right, let's get started. Rustin Hughes, do me a favor. Tell people who you are and what you're doing here. My name is Rustin Hughes. Uh, I am an above the knee amputee and I compete in jujitsu. And I also have a company called Be Bold and we help people of all abilities get into martial arts. I love it. And now we, I'm going to, before we actually jump in, um, just for the people who have seen the this podcast before and they watch it, a couple of things that uh, I want to highlight. One, normally there's a whole bunch of shoes behind me uh, that we can use for reference, but we just moved into this new office like a day ago and I don't even know where that box of shoes is. So grid wall, no shoes. Secondly, normally I have a microphone on the other side, but that's because there's a window over there that I never had before. It was leaving this crazy shadow, but that's not important, but just for the fun of people who are really OCD about things like that. Okay. So we got introduced because we have a number of people who are above and below the knee amputees who have been really hip to zero shoes. What was your, let me, let's back up and do this. How did you become an above the knee amputee? I had a massive blood clot in my artery of my thigh. Yeah. It was just, it was crazy. Just out of nowhere. So I had been feeling like a pain in my leg, but being in martial arts, I always thought it was just an injury that I had. Honestly, what I thought that it was like a pinched nerve. And then this particular day, it was a Sunday. We were in Lakewood, Colorado at a farmer's market, and I just physically could not move. I was right stuck in the middle of this farmer's market and could not walk anymore. Um, I, I would compare it to my leg felt like there was concrete in it. It was super heavy and it was just hard to walk. My wife, who was my girlfriend at the time, she was like, I will, I'm going to take you to the emergency room. And I was just like, no, you're not taking me to the emergency room. They're just going to give me an aspirin and tell me I have a pinched nerve. She was like, if you want me to get the car, I'm taking you to the emergency room. So I'm a veteran and I have the VA. So she took me to the uh, Denver VA and I explained to them what was going on. And they took me back and was running some tests. And then the doctor comes in and I'm just expecting him to tell me like, Hey, you got a pinched nerve, blah, blah, blah. 
and he comes in and he's just listen you got a very big blood clot in your artery and we're taking you to icu right now and you're probably going to have your leg amputated and you're going to be on blood thinners for the rest of your life and at that moment it was just like this huge wave hit me and it, i i had to even like google what amputation was because i was just like he's got to be kidding me there's no way does, does amputation still mean what I think it means? And <laughs> Maybe there's some doctor version of that that I'm not aware of. Oh, I'm just like, you got to be kidding me. It was just so surreal. Just so, and then- No, the, the, no conversation, no debate. Just, and we got to go and you're going to come back with half a leg. And so it gets, what they tried to do, they took me into ICU um, and then they tried to I was a plumber by trade before. I, I relate to everything by plumber's terms. Right. Like rotor rooter, my the artery. <laughs> yeah. um, and then they tried to then put they had, this. They had no. They had yeah. They, they, there we go. I was gonna say they had some Drano version. Yeah. Yep. yep. And so the first day they tried that, there was no success. They were comparing the clot to concrete, like they thought oh, they said it was the artery was pretty solid of this clot. So they came in the next day to be a little more aggressive with the same treatment, rotor rooter, uh, Drano on the clot kind of thing. And just nothing budged it. Um, I remember waking up from the second procedure and the doctors are all in there and they're just like, unfortunately we cannot bust through this and we're going to make you an appointment to see the vascular surgeon and we're going to give you a big bottle of oxycodone and a big bottle of blood thinners is what I went home with and I didn't have my appointment for another 30 plus days oh my god and so at that time I really needed to figure out like what my my decision was going to be or what I'm going to do after this what choice did you have the only thing look because I'm a medical geek when you saw the arterial guy, did he? See, was there any possibility of an arterial transplant? Or they were talking about a bypass. Yeah, doing a bypass. But again, being a plumber, I, I like the the length of that clot. I was, there's no way that they're going to be able to bypass that and make it. And they had told me if the bypass failed, I'd become an above the knee amputee automatically. And then I had about 30 days to to figure out some things. I, I moved back in with my parents in Nebraska just to separate because my girlfriend and I, um, we had been dating about a year and it's at that kind of point of what do we do? Yeah, um, She has two daughters and I, we just thought it would be best if I just separated myself so I could come up with this decision on my own. And I, I just had one question for the doctors at, at some point of my life and not now, but at some point, am I going to have my leg amputated? And I don't even think I sat down. I think that I, I mean, as soon I, I walk into the the office and it was just like, listen, I don't want to take you guys' time, but I just want to know one thing. Am I going to have my leg amputated? Because if the way I was looking at it is if I have to, let's just do it right now. Yeah. Because I could already see the road that I was going down with the oxycodone and it was not a good road. And I just wanted to get back into life again. It was, I just lost my first wife to brain cancer. And now I'm in this position where I'm sitting in this hospital bed. It was like the last place that I wanted to be at was in a hospital. And, and I was just like, I've had so many plans. I had just finished culinary school and I had all these 
plans of starting my own private chef business and, and looking into getting a food truck and all of these things. And then I'm just like, you've got to be kidding me. So they decided to do, we, we decided to do a below the knee amputation, August 21st, 2014. I went in, I had the, the surgery, uh, came out and I was in the hospital for about a week and my 40th birthday was the following weekend. And so my parents and my brother and sister and their families all came out and we went to Estes Park for my 40th birthday. And looking back on that, it was not a good decision just because of the elevation gain that we had. And I was in extreme pain probably the after the second day of being there, just controlled pain that I could not touch with any of my pain meds, my oxycodone, morphine. So we had to, we had to go to the emergency room in Estes Park and I still had stitches in my leg and they were just like, they, they gave me a shot of morphine to take care of the pain, but they're like, you need to get back to the VA. There's, there's some issues that you have. Uh, went back the following day and the doctor took one of those Q-tips, one of those long Q-tips that they had, and he buried it in my incision that I had. I about went through the roof. Oh my goodness. It hurt so bad. And he looks at me and he's just, we need to get you into surgery. And unfortunately, like I was on blood thinners at the time. So they had to, there's a protocol that you have to be weaned off of your blood thinners for a week. And these were Lovenox shots that I had to inject in my stomach myself. And it was torture. Oh my God. We go in the day, it's September 11th, 2014. We go in and they, they were going to clean out the area. And right before they put me under, they're like, hey, we may have to amputate above the knee. Do you want us to wake you up to let you know that's what we're doing? And I was just like, don't wake me up to to tell <laughs> yeah. them to put yeah. me back under. And to be honest, like I, I was not, I thought that they were just going to go in. There was an infection, but I didn't realize how bad the infection was. But I just thought they were going to go in, clean it out, sew me back up and be on my way. Um. I remember waking up from the surgery and I was those moments are what just happened. And then I remember I look underneath the, the sheets and my leg was gone. And it was just, I, I would say that's probably the lowest point of my life at that moment. Just, I, I could not believe that I had gone through two amputations in three weeks and the nurses, after the first one, they were just like, oh, you're so lucky you're a below the knee amputee. You still have that knee joint and let's, let's all of these things. And then now I'm seeing the same nurses and now I'm an above the knee amputee and they're looking at me like, oh. <laughs> and, and I, I just felt, I could not believe that's the position that I was in. I'm just laying in this hospital bed and just, I'm super depressed, didn't know what I just turned 40 years old, like what the rest of my life was going to, what am I going to do with the rest of my life? So yeah, there was a lot of just a lot of questions at that point. Yeah, I, I want to ask you a weird question and pardon me if I'm being mildly invasive, but I get really curious about all things medical. As a vet, I can only imagine you knew guys who had, for different reasons, been in similar situations where they had had something amputated. Had you ever, had any of this like ever crossed your mind in the past about what would happen if personally, because I'm a freak, I think about these things all the time. What would happen if I didn't have fill in the blank? I'm like, this is a, a dumb ver variation that just popped in my head. Someone said, what would it be like if you can't run anymore? And I just was like, 
what? I just couldn't even comprehend it. But on the track, I meet these guys who are either above or below the knee amputees and they're doing their thing. They're out on the track. And so I think about that and I hang out with them a lot. And in fact, there's one guy who's got the cheetah, the carbon fiber blade for a foot. And I said, listen, do me a favor. If that thing ever breaks when you're in a race, just like roll on the ground going, oh, I pulled a muffle. And uh, he loved that idea. So I'm also that kind of geek where, you know, if I see somebody in a motorized wheelchair, my first question, how fast can you go on that thing? What's the zero to 60 on that? (laughs) So it's all interesting to me, but at the same time, I can totally, look, if for no other reason, having two surgeries in three weeks, normally like the three week mark after a major surgery is when people tend to get depressed anyway, just because all this stuff is changing in your body. So to compound that with the additional surgery, again, that was a long version of, had you ever contemplated this? And if so, how different was it? once it actually happened and what was like the difference between below and above in your mind um and i didn't really have a lot of time being below the knee amputee because right they had me in a cast where i couldn't really bend my knee they wanted everything to heal up first got it and i was in a wheelchair all the whole entire time so i didn't really get to experience a below the knee and what that was like yeah i had 30 I had over 30 days from when we decided to do the surgery till when I had the surgery. So I spent a lot of my time trying to figure out, I I was doing all these one-legged exercises, trying to do one-legged squats and and balance on one leg when I was doing my curls. And I guess it's nothing the same from where I was then and to where I'm at now, just because it's so different. You don't have, the, the counterbalance is different and But I think what it allowed me to do is just focus on something other than this negative amputation that was going to happen. Yeah. I was able to focus on like, how am I going to rehab myself through this? I did a lot of body weight exercises. I was an MMA fighter before and I treated it like a fight camp and I told myself every day on this date, I'm going to have this surgery and, and it kept my mind not focusing on like the bad stuff and just focusing on the good stuff that I could focus on. I've got to, I've got to ask you this question, uh, whether it was below when you were below or above uh, first time you did a pull up or a chin up, did you go, oh, that's fucking easy. Yeah. You know, I, I <laughs> was kind of talking about like the advantages of, of being uh, a leg amputee. It's like, I take my leg off and I lose 15 pounds out of exactly. Um, <laughs> And I got to tell you where that came from. So back in my gymnast days, I was at this gymnastics camp and there was a guy there who was above the knee amputee and like pretty close to his hip too. And it was amazing watching him vault. He'd hop down the runway and vault and doing things on floor was really cool. But when he's on rings doing all the strength moves and everyone's going, ooh, and I'm going, he weighs 20 pounds less. If I weighed 20 pounds less, I could do all that shit. And people got got really mad at me, but he thought it was hysterical. (laughs) My my guys at my gym, they say I cheat. Exactly. I tell them, I'm like, I, I compete at 145 pounds and I don't have to cut weight except for taking my leg off. When I, I walk around usually about 160, but I take my leg off. I'm 145 and I make weight pretty easy. Um, oh, man. Right afterwards, I, 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 I doubled my socks instantly. That was another positive. Yeah. And that's one thing. Just I, I try to look at this as like, how can I make this the best situation that it could yeah. be? So I'm, I'm in a really crappy position. And how do I make this better? What's interesting to me is that people, when they typically imagine something like this, 
they imagine how bad it's going to be and they assume that's the way it's going to be. And I imagine, again, that when you first looked under the covers and went, oh, crap, and we're depressed from that. I imagine there was some of that. But what people don't, how do I want to say this? People project in a really weird way and think, uh, here, let me do this as a question. Do people come up to you and talk to you about how the way you're handling the situation is an inspiration? Yeah. Oh, and yeah. the way and in your head are you going no this is what everyone would do yeah it's just like i had no other choice i i, I guess there is two choices because you and, and i in my head i had it where i was going to do one of two things and it was going to be a hundred percent i was going to continue on or i was going to give up and it's going to be a hundred percent and i just i was sat i sat there and i was like i can't I, there's no way i can give up there's just no way that i'm going to give up and, and then that's when that's when a lot of things started to change for me too. I found that they, they have a rec therapist at the VA mm. and I had a meeting with this rec therapist and we, and I don't even know really how this all came about, but I was going to ride a bike from the, from Denver to Omaha. And, and again, what it allowed me to do is just focus on something else. And I, I'm doing the logistics of like, where am I going to stop at? How far can I ride in a day? All this thing, all these things. And and it really, it was a therapy I didn't even know that w was possible. I got out of the hospital and I got an upright bicycle and I realized that I was not very good at riding an upright bicycle. You mean, you mean before or after the amputation? Oh, both. I was. <laughs> I don't think I ever rode a bike more than five miles. But then I, what I found out is that the VA will give veterans uh, adaptive cycles. And so I got mm. a hand, hand cycle. And honestly, it, it was so therapeutic. Uh, I met another veteran, a combat wounded veteran um, that had a, an adaptive cycle himself. And he took me around Fort Collins. There's lots of trails around here. And I remember when we did 10 miles and I thought that was awesome. I like, wow, I just went 10 miles on a bike. And then we did 20, 25 all the way up. We did, I did my first century ride back in Nebraska. And then we changed the route up a little bit. We, we went from Fort Collins to Omaha and we stopped. Let me, let, me, let me pause there. Why Omaha of all places? So my first wife, she did her brain cancer ah. treatments at the University of Omaha, the med center there. And I I just thought that would have been a, a, a good place to end, yeah. end the ride. We did 600 miles in six days of riding. I did multiple century rides back to back, which I'd never done before. We were averaging about 25 miles an hour on these adaptive cycles, which was just, it was the whole ride was amazing. We had a SAG that was helping escort us throughout the, the whole ride. And it was just, and we were able to fund the whole ride. And then it kicked off our nonprofit, Be Bold. We had just got our paperwork back. And then we were able to raise $4,000 and give it to another veteran that just lost his wife to brain cancer. Nice. Yeah. So it was, it was one of the most, it was tough. It was, there was one day that we got rained on for six hours straight, but it was, again, it was like really therapeutic for me, yeah. just, just physically, spiritually, emotionally, mentally, all those things. For, pardon me, for most people doing anything that's that kind of a challenge is a big awakening, but I can only imagine that after what you've gone through and then overcome or not overcoming, but completing that challenge would have just an extra bonus on it. Yeah. And it was, 
And it was like one of those things where what's next? Yeah. What's yeah. next? And that's where we really started doing our Be Bold Boxing. Boxing helped me out a lot. My good friend, Ryan Schultz, owns a gym here in Fort Collins called Trials MMA. And at this particular time, I didn't have my prosthetic leg all, all the time. It was still being worked on. And I could really only go as far as my wheelchair would take me. And that wasn't very far. And right. I would call them up and I said, hey, is there any way that we could work something out? And so he would pick me up uh, on Tuesdays and Thursdays and take me to the gym. And he would coach class and I would go over the heavy bags and figure out how I was going to do all this stuff. Yeah. Some days I didn't have my leg, so I was in my wheelchair. Other days I did have my leg and I was trying to figure out like, am I going to have my right leg forward? Am I going to have my left leg forward? Can I still throw kicks? Can I plan off my prosthetic and throw a kick? And I realized like how beneficial that this was for me to figure all this stuff out mm. and how much it was helping me. And if it could help me, it can help a lot of other people as well. I think that like we all need to hit something real hard every now and again, just vent out some frustration, but do it in a positive environment and do it in a positive way. And that's where we came up with kind of our Be Bold boxing classes. And then from that, honestly, I think we've had pretty much any ability you could think of in, in our gym. One of the coolest things that I had seen was I was doing a boxing clinic and we had two guys that were blind. Oh, and they, wow. They partnered up with each other and to watch those two, it was just, it was amazing. So watch. you're going to have to describe that a little differently than the very comedic version that's in my head, which is two guys wandering around the ring, just throwing punches in the air, which, and then somebody accidentally hits somebody and wins. So what, what was it actually? Wait, I got to back up though. We have a, we got a heavy bag in our office. And one of the guys in our office said, God, if I'd known you're going to have that, you could have gotten me for free because no. so, it does come in handy. But yeah, describe two blind guys boxing because that is, it just sounds hysterical. Clearly, that's not the way it actually played out. One of the guys I had been working with for quite a while. And so he knew like the punches and where, and he would listen to where the voice was and he knew where the voice was is where the head is. Mm. And he knew like your one ones and twos are your straight punches, your threes and fours are your hooks and your fives and sixes are your uppercuts. And the other guy was from out of state and he had done a little bit of boxing before he lost his vision. And so he had a good, he had a, a good understanding. And then what they were doing is just getting their distance, right? Mm -hmm. They knew when their distance was there, then they would call out, they would call out the numbers and, Trevor was the guy that I work with. He held pads first. And so once he understood where. Oh, so there was, so to be clear, they were training, not having a fight. So it was. And we were just, yeah, we're just going through some mitt work. Yeah. Got it. Okay. So just for the, for people who aren't hip to this. And by the way, I had my first actual boxing lesson about a year ago and it was so much fun just because the physics of it is a blast. And when you get, when you really get your, you're using your body well, and it comes out through your hands well, it's so satisfying. There's just something incredible about it. Ones and two. So it's lefts and rights. One and two is a straight punch. Three and four is a hook. Five and six is an uppercut. And you got the other guy on the other side who know who's either, who's calling that out typically or a pattern. And he's got pads that you're aiming for basically. Yep. So yep. that's, and, and if you've watched Rocky, anyone, they know the gist of this, but didn't know that's how it actually goes down. All right. Yep. So and then, yeah, watching them like figure out all the distance and then where the punches are going to land. 
I, I was just in awe watching these two guys. Yeah, it was. And I look at it as it doesn't matter what your physical ability is, that you can do anything that you want to do, honestly. And I think that it, it's just figuring out the way to do it. And, yeah. and there's no, there's no like guidebook. I, I found that like, there's no book that you can go check out and say, how do you box having one leg? And that's where I was like, I'm coming up with this stuff. And it's tr by trial and error, figuring out what it's, works, what doesn't work. Even worse, it's a punchline. People use the idea of a one-legged kickboxer as a joke. That's so, and I can only imagine someone has said that to you at some point. Oh yeah, <laughs> all the time. <laughs> I got to give you this challenge. When I was living in New York, I rode a recumbent bike, which is crazy enough doing that in New York. I never had a problem because when you're on a recumbent, people think you're crippled. And so they give you a lot of leeway. But there was a, a bike messenger I used to ride with all the time who was an above the knee amputee and he rode a fixie, no brakes. It was all just controlled with his foot. And it, to say he was an inspiration is not quite accurate. It was just like, holy crap, how did you figure this out? And he did a cross-country trip to raise money for people. And he's riding a fixie with one leg. And this guy was fast. It was, And again, it's that same thing. We don't anticipate that if for most people or everyone I've talked to in this situation, let me say it that way. It's like one day you wake up and go, I got to just figure this out. And that's when everything changes. And for you, it sounds like it happened pretty quickly, which is not too surprising, frankly. Yeah. And I think that it was... I was very frustrated and I needed to vent out a lot of stuff. And the only way that I knew how to do that in a positive way was to hit a heavy bag. Yeah. Then realizing like, there's a lot of other people that are frustrated too. Yeah. And coming into this new demographic that I was a part of, I also had learned that people with disabilities are three times more likely to be attacked than able-bodied people in the United States. Oh, wow. That blew me away. But then I started to think about it is I don't really believe that's an ability issue. I believe it's a confidence issue. And unfortunately, a lot of people that have disabilities aren't very confident. And that's what I was trying to instill into people is confidence. Interesting. So let's shifting slightly. I'm curious, backing up to once you were trying to figure out how to box and or even just hit the heavy bag with and without your prosthetic. What did you find technically? What did you find about which foot you were planning, what you could do off your prosthetic? The physics of it is really fascinating to me. So I have a really nice knee. It's probably one of the best knees that are out on the market. It's the X3 from Autobach and it has different modes on it. And I, I created a boxing mode where it will bend at 16 degrees and then lock there so I can straighten it or bend it to that 16 degree mark so I wouldn't fall. I was a southpaw before having my right leg forward, and I continued on doing that. I just found that I was more mobile with my good leg to the back. Mm. Even to think about as a defense, if anyone wanted to kick my prosthetic leg, go ahead. I've had people uh, accidentally kick me in the prosthetic leg and, and hurt themselves in the process. <laughs> um, oh my God, that's brilliant. A, a good line of defense. As well. <laughs> um, yeah, it was just this... I don't know. It was so therapeutic to go through all of that stuff. And like, I, I still spar with our guys and yeah. ladies at the gym. And it's, it's so cool to be able to still be in, in the middle of everything and still working. Uh, I, I'm a coach at our gym as well. And I, I help the, the fight team out and, and to be able to still get in the mix with them is, and I also look, I'm 49 years old. I, I think that's another part of it too, is I have a lot of friends that we're the same age and, and 
they don't think that they can still do all this stuff that they were doing before. And I think that it's all between, honestly, I, I believe that I was more disabled when I had two legs. And I think that a lot where that disability was between the ears. Yeah. And I think that I look at the loss of my leg as this blessing that happened, to be honest. And I, all of these amazing things I've been able to, to do. And it's because I lost my leg. When I, I look back on it, and I remember laying in that bed and going, what am I going to do with the rest of my life? And then looking to where I'm at now, it's just, it's such a blessing that it happened. It seems weird to say that, but I've been able to meet so many incredible people, do so many different things. I just got back from the Middle East. I competed in a, a couple of world para jiu-jitsu competitions. And it's weird to say that this is, uh, a blessing, but uh, it, it totally has been. So, no, I totally understand that. I, I don't want to dive too deeply into this, but this is now November, about 10, 11 months ago. I'll do the shortest version possible. I was diagnosed with and then treated for, and now over what I refer to as best cancer ever. And I'm, I couldn't be more serious when I say it, in part because it was an relatively easy to treat as things go. And in, I didn't have chemo. I didn't have to have chemo. The radiation was all localized. But in a, for about eight weeks, I didn't know if I was going to live or die. And it was from the moment of my diagnosis, literally the second they the second they said, you have cancer, but that's not how it happened. The way it happened was I was getting an exam and the physician's assistant said, is this your, your pharmacy? Is this your address? These are medications you're on, blah, blah, blah. I said, yeah. And he goes, so do you have any questions about your tumor? I went, sorry, my what? <laughs> he goes, wait, and he runs out of the room. <laughs> and the doctor comes in and he says, so you have a malignant cancer and we don't know if it's metastasized yet. And I said, so is this going to kill me? He goes, we don't know yet. And I went, ah, damn it. He goes, what? I, said, I already told my wife if I was diagnosed with a terminal disease, I was going to go on an all chocolate cake and Thai hooker diet. And she signed off on that. And you're not giving me anything to work with when I call her. But literally from the moment of my diagnosis, everything just seemed so unbelievably precious and special. And people would ask my wife, how are you doing? And she'd say, I'm going on a bit of a roller coaster ride, but it's hard to stay down because he is just so happy all the time. And after everything cleared out, it's not like I'm living in this perpetual state of bliss, but multiple times a day, I'm just so grateful and everything is so special. Yesterday morning, I'm walking the dog. And the whole time I'm thinking, I still don't know if I'm going to live or die. And what would I do differently if I knew I was going to die? The answer was nothing. I'd walk my dog. I'd hang out with my wife. We'd watch a movie. I'd make some pizza. But it all seems just really precious. Now, I'm not suggesting anyone who has cancer should have that experience. But I've always thought knowing that you're going to die is a great gift because it really gets your stuff in order pretty quickly. Okay. And it's a weird extrapolation from that to the situation you're in, but I can only imagine, and correct me if I'm full of it, that you've got moments that are from what you just said, just like that. Oh yeah. It's like you were saying, you, you start to look at things a lot differently. Yeah. You, you're able to like put everything into a better perspective of, of what's important and what's not important. And yeah. that's one of the biggest things that I got from it. And a lot of the stuff that that the petty stuff, I mean, it's easy just to get get rid of that now because you don't have you don't have the time to worry about petty stuff and even the stuff that you have no control over. 
there's a lot of stuff like I didn't have control over a lot of stuff and I can't dwell on it on the stuff that I have no control over. Um, I, I will admit though, people driving 10 miles under the speed limit in front of me still gets to me. There's nothing I can do about that one. That's, yeah. That's one thing that <laughs> I've been trying to, to watch my mouth a little bit more <laughs> and not cuss as much, but as soon as I get into my truck and go to the yeah. gym, it's, it's, I get, it's the test for sure. Um, <laughs> I used to use that as a sign of my eventual awakening that I'd be able to drive without getting bothered by people doing stupid things in front of me. And of course, it reminds me, I think it was a George Carlin line. Did you ever notice that the people who drive too slowly in front of you are morons and people who drive too fast around you are maniacs? Pretty much. There's no way of winning that one. That's the problem. Yep. What'd you discover? So once you got back into doing jujitsu with missing a good chunk of a leg, what'd you discover from that? And what's it like for the people who were, who were competing against you? So that was, I, I remember like going to my coach and saying, Hey, do you, do you think that I could do jujitsu again? And he looked at me and he was just like, he was, I don't know, but you're going <laughs> to take, you're going to have to take your disability and make it your advantage. And as soon as he said that, like this light bulb goes off into my head and <clears throat> I was finding all these ways to submit people that they'd never been in these situations before because they've never grappled with a guy with one leg before. And again, it was it allowed me to think outside the box and, and figure out how I was going to do all this stuff. And it was community too. I had a bunch of uh, guys that were helping me try to figure this stuff out. And they would come back like the next day and say, Oh, I was thinking about this position or this move since you don't have the leg that you could probably do this. And it was, again, it was this therapy that I didn't even realize that like how therapeutic that it was for me to yeah. figure all this stuff out. And then I did a competition I can't remember when it was 2017, I think. And after the, I got second place in that competition and the guy got a hold of me and he was like, Hey, we're going to form a United States para jujitsu team. And we have a competition in LA. Do you want to join us? And I was like, sure. I would love to. So we all met up in LA and we, we did the, it was para jujitsu is what they were calling. I didn't know what they were even going to call it. So it's para jujitsu. And there were people from all over the world that were there. I competed against a guy from Costa Rica. The Brazilians had a huge team. There were, I believe, seven or eight Americans that were there. And it was just, it was so cool to meet all these other people that had similar stories and how they've been able to overcome it. From that, I traveled to London, Abu Dhabi, Sweden, and I just got back from Saudi Arabia and Abu Dhabi a couple of weeks ago, competing in two world tournaments. It, and it, it was awesome. I got second place in Saudi Arabia and I got first place in Abu Dhabi. Congratulations. That's sweet. It was this, it was just, I, I, I can't even explain how amazing that it was meeting all of these people. I think there were 24 different countries that were in Abu Dhabi that were representing para jiu-jitsu and people of all abilities that you could think of. And then just seeing how they've adapted their, their techniques, their submissions with their body type. I call my style nub jitsu. It's, <laughs> you know, it's something that we started from the very beginning. And it's really cool to see how I've been able to 
how it's just evolved from, yeah. from, and I started off as a white belt and I, I'm a brown belt now about ready to get my black belt. Nice. Not my, easy, but not, and just to highlight that not easy. My, my niece and nephew were quote black belts in karate when they were 12 or something, whole different game in the jujitsu world. You, you yeah. got to work that problem. Yep. And, and again, it's been this therapeutic it's been so therapeutic for me to go through this whole process and, and try to figure all of this out. And then like lately, since I've been back, I've had a lot of people reach out to me. They've lost their legs at some point in their life and they had done martial arts before and they didn't think they could get back into it. And they're like, now seeing you do this, man, I'm going to get back into the gym. Or I had a, a kid get a hold of me. He's 19 or 20 and he was in an accident. And he lost his leg. And there's just all these people that have been reaching out to me after me coming back from the Middle East and how they can get involved in this. And that's my goal now is I want to start a Team USA. I was the only person from the United States that went to both tournaments. And I was like, we need to represent. We need to bring in as many people as we can because I know how much it's helped me. Yeah, I think that it can help out so many other people as well. And and I look at it, it's, it's the community. There's this huge community that's a part of, that's that you're a part of. And honestly, I think that regardless of whatever, whoever you are, whatever you're going through, community is huge. But that, that's been the biggest. I, I don't know where I would be at if it wasn't for my gym, and and they've helped me so much throughout all of this. This is a weird. This is a weird thing. Thinking about jujitsu uh, with uh, amputees, do you find? I don't even know how to ask this question. Does it make a difference if you're uh, grappling with someone who has is missing the same side leg as you versus the other side? Well, it it, it definitely changes the way you do things. That's something that I've learned. I, I've got certain things I can do if if we mirror each other. Yeah. If I, I'm missing my right leg, if he's missing his left leg and we mirror each other, there's things that I can do differently than if it would be uh, opposite. And yeah, yeah. So you really have to think about who you're going against and what kind of techniques that you're going to use. And to be honest, like I haven't rolled with another amputee since this competition for a long time. I used to have a couple guys that would come in to the gym and it's completely different when there's not that limb that's there. And, yeah. Um, just trying to understand that difference is it, it takes a while to look. Jujitsu is already four dimensional chess to begin with. Now you add the, add this other component and uh, it's, it's, I don't want to use the word intellectual incorrectly, but it is because you really got to work that problem in a way that's just never been done before. And I can imagine it's simultaneously interesting, frustrating, awesome, confusing, satisfying, I mean, like everything you can think of, because you're you're figuring this out on the fly. This, there's no recipe manual for this. No. And that's what's cool about it is I, yeah. I tell people like, we're pioneering something in 2023. And it's pretty rare to think about pioneering something, but it's like there was no one... I, I couldn't go and get a, an instructional video on how to grapple with one leg. Um, Dude, wait, are you, hold on. Are you making videos like this? Actually, I, I just did. I, with BJJ fanatics, um, awesome. I put out my first instructional video and I really, I mean, I made it for the, the, the amputee, but I also wanted to make it for the coaches 
Mm. A lot of the times, I think when these individuals will come into the gym, they don't know what to do with them. Um, I remember being coming into the gym and the coach is like, all right, we're going to do double leg takedowns today. And it was just, I was like, what? We're doing what? I was like, that's good because no one can hit a double. <laughs> just throw your prosthetic at him. It, so it was one of these things where I wanted the coaches to feel comfortable on coaching the people with different abilities. And yeah. you have to think outside the box and how, and, and a lot of it is an experiment. Let's see if this works. If it, if it doesn't work, we'll move on to something else. If it does work, we'll focus a little bit more on this. And that's one thing that was really, again, I, I say therapeutic. It was so therapeutic for me to figure this out. What works, what doesn't work. I had a, a kid that came in who was paralyzed and he was from the waist down and to, to figure out different ways that he could use his, I call it a superpower. Like my missing of my leg is my superpower. How can he use his ability and, and form a superpower from it? And we experimented a lot with it. And it was cool to see how he was able to come and, and find these different ways to get into submissions. The only way that he could get there is if he had the body that he has. Right. Uh, of course, the, the, the joke there is he can't feel anything from the waist down, ankle lock or foot. It's like, you can do whatever you want, man. I can't feel that. If it breaks, whatever. So, <laughs> no, and that's, I've had some uh, other people that I've known that are paralyzed and they've actually dislocated their hips going for submissions. And hey, like you're saying, they can't feel it. It doesn't matter. Like they're just waiting for the tap. And when they're, <laughs> when they're done, they realize that they've dislocated. <laughs> <laughs> oh man but, but that's that's i i love it that's the they love what they're doing so much yeah but they're unfortunately they go through a little bit of an injury for it but it's something that yeah no it, it again the thing that i, I want to emphasize I, i'm not trying to minimize what you're saying at all but it's one of these things again that people they misunderstand there's actually interesting research on on loss where people are asked to imagine what would happen how they'd feel two years after some loss like the loss of a child for example and what they imagine is so much worse than the reality for people and because it's just where our brain works for whatever reason and not to say that two years later you're fine but it's amazing how much you get back to mostly normal with just bursts of grief or whatever you're going to go through and people imagine that you're just going to be devastated forever so the just the resilience of humans in general is the part. It, it's such a natural thing to be that resilient is I guess where I'm going with that. And that's the part that I like. He just he reminded me, I had a joke with my wife. I said, if I ever have locked in syndrome where all I can do is bat one eyelid, here's the list of people that you can call that will put me on the national speaking circuit and we will become billionaires. So it, it, it's like, just roll with it, pun intended for jujitsu. And I love the story. And I hope people are are taking it more as just a, invitation to investigate how this could apply to their life, whether they ever have any problem or not. Uh, because it just, we tend to, what's the word I'm looking for? We tend to, inspiration is a really weird word is the best way I can say it. We tend to look at people and just want to go, oh my God, that's incredible. And imagine we can't do that. And I, I would argue, and please tell me if you think I'm you know completely full of it, that that it's a different thing. It's you no, know, you'd be like this too. This is what I've said before. Inspirationally, I'm, I'm a 61 year old sprinter. Now the 30 year olds call me an inspiration. And of course I give them the finger when they say that. And then I give them a hug, but because it's just, a, it's a way of distancing instead of meeting somebody and kind of finding out what's going on. And anyway, that's just my take on these things.
Yeah, I did a, a speaking engagement last week and I got to speak to, there was about 300 middle schoolers and teachers and counselors. And the way that I ended it was whatever you find to be in, inspirational in me, just know that you have it in yourself as well. There you go. Yeah. It's, and it, it takes this whatever to, to bring it out of yes. us, you know, and whatever that it is, I, I believe that we have it instilled into every single person has it instilled into them. And that they would do the same exact thing that I'm doing, maybe not martial arts, but they would find their passion and just do what they're passionate about. And I look at myself before I lost the leg, and I think that we all have a disability. Every single one of us has a disability, and there's something that disables every single one of us. And some of us are, we're, it's easier to hide it, but I think that we all have something that disables us. Yeah. We're able to use that thing that dis disables us to, to be like our superpower and to focus on whatever it is. And then we can turn that around and to make our, uh, to, to make our lives more meaningful, more beautiful. Um, because I think we're, we're supposed to raise the bar. We're supposed to yeah. continuously raise the bar. And that's what I'm trying to do with this. I love it. Now, if I was a better man, I would end things right there because that was wonderful, but I'm not a better man. I'm the guy who's the CEO of Zero Shoes, so I've got to do this part. So you've got one leg that can't feel anything from the wherever the amputation is down, so you're not feeling anything with your non-foot there. And then when you started just doing whatever and you're in a regular shoe, big, thick, padded motion control shoe, what was it like just trying to walk where you for all practical purposes, couldn't feel anything with either leg or either foot. It was like wearing, on my prosthetic side, it was like wearing a shoe box and it was heavy. It was so heavy. And I remember I was trying to wear like the same shoes that I had before the amputation. And it was, I was so tired. It was like two o'clock in the afternoon and I'm exhausted. And I started to realize that Above the knee amputees have to exert 60% more energy just to walk. And then when you add on ounces mean a lot. And when you add on what, however much that shoe weighed um, and it was, it, it just felt really bulky. And I, even the way that my gait was off, it was exhausting is what it was mentally and physically exhausting. Cause I'm just like, I shouldn't be so tired. Yeah. And, and then switching over to these zero shoes it's a whole nother ball game it is i'm, I'm in my I'm, i wear my leg 18 hours a day where before i was in it maybe six hours and i have to take it off and and rest oh wow and it's yeah it's i have the speed force twos i i love those are my favorite shoes that's what i'm wearing right now i love them they're sometimes you don't even know that you're wearing shoes yeah no, we've had people accidentally go to bed still wearing their shoes because they forgot they had them on. This is one of those things where there are so many applications for what we're doing that I wasn't even thinking of when we started the company, but very quickly started getting hip to. And this is one where, for whatever reason, I've always been fascinated again by prosthetics and whatever kind of things that people need for adaptive technology to get around. And so this is a, a, a community that I've been interested in for a long time. And I was so thrilled to get introduced to you and a couple other people who are also local and single leg amputees, because um, this is something I really want to be part of because I know the benefit it can provide. So I'm super, super grateful for your help in this. 
and really looking forward to seeing what we could do to spread the word because it, it's so underappreciated because people don't know there's an option. And that's always the problem. If they don't know, then they just try to live with it. And then you find out there's an option, whole different game. No, totally. I mean, it's crazy how I, I was able to do more in the day. And yeah. that's that's huge. And because if I wasn't wearing my prosthetic leg, I'm in my wheelchair or I'm in crutches and that changes everything up. It just changes what would be a 20 minute task is now an hour and a half task. And just to be able to wear my prosthetic leg the whole day is huge. I get way more done. I'm not tired. And let's, it allows me just to do more in my life. I love it. Speaking of doing more in your life, we're not too far away from each other. We're going to find time to eventually hook up and figure out what we can do to help change the world in a number of ways. Um, it's been a total pleasure to actually have this time to chat. So if people want to find out more about what you're doing, how do they do that? I'm on Facebook and Instagram under uh, Rustin Hughes on Facebook and Rustin underscore Nubjitsu on uh, Instagram. I have a website, beboldadaptiveliving.com. They can check me out there. Any questions that they have regarding the boxing or jujitsu, please get a hold of me. I would love to talk more about those things and how I can help with other with if anyone wants to get involved um much much appreciated and i do hope people take you up on that and frankly even if they're it, I, I would say it would be an interesting conversation to uh, chat even if you're not dealing with some sort of disability there's a lot to be learned no matter what and uh, so I, I look forward to hearing what happens when people reach out oh for so, real and like anybody I, I i anybody i don't care if you're an amputee or not i want anyone to get a hold of me i i we do a lot of work with uh Parkinson's patients at our gym. We do rock steady boxing for Parkinson's and just that it's just amazing to see what martial arts can do for people. Yeah. Awesome. Rustin, A, thank you so much. More to come. And for everybody else, thank you as well. And just a reminder, head over back over to www.jointhemovementmovement.com to find all the other episodes, ways you can engage with us. If you have any questions or comments or recommendations, people you think you should be on the show, people, especially someone who thinks I have a case of cranial rectal reorientation syndrome, that'd be a fun conversation. You can drop me an email. I'm at move, M-O-V-E, at jointhemovementmovement.com. And most importantly, between now and whatever's next, go out, have fun and live life feet first.